0: Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Investor Lab, the auditory epicenter for passionate people seeking a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. My name's Goose. My name's
1: Gabby. And
0: today we had a scintillating and deeply contemplative conversation around what, Gabby?
1: Vacancy rates.
0: Yeah so we spoke yeah, of, yeah we <laughs> <laughs> vacancy vacancy rates yeah vacancy, rates, vacancy yeah. rates yeah so we spoke about vacancy rates the misunderstood metric yes. we also we also went extremely tangential into um uh, mythological uh, towns with gold mines, <laughs> biopsychology, um, how vacancy rates are an indicator for future growth, mm-hmm. uh, how to navigate changing rates as a, uh, changing vacancy rates as an investor, um, the unusual impact of coronavirus on vacancy rates, yeah. and ultimately why vacancy rates are more relevant than ever, and why as an investor you need to understand not just the number but the meaning behind the number.
1: Totally.
0: Did I miss yeah. anything, Gaby? Because we went pretty. <laughs> <We're
1: pretty. laughs> no, we try to be as practical as possible about how you as a property investor or as a landlord or as a tenant, um, how, how vacancy rates affect you right now and how affect affects your long-term strategy um, and kind of the signs to look out for and how you can respond when you see the early indicators.
0: Great stuff. Now, this was inspired um, by Gabby thumbing through a copy of Limitless, The Renegade's Guide to Building Wealth Through Property. And I encourage you, if you haven't got a copy of that book yet, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs)
1: What is going on? They don't like us. What is
0: going on? (laughs) No, look, we had some, um, you know, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, I did order a book and I haven't got it yet. It's because we did have a few shipping (laughs) issues. We had a few shipping issues, but they are resolved. We found an Australian printer, Australia publisher, and we are. We are back on. So if you want to get a copy of your book, order it now. Head to renegadespropertybook.com to check that out and of course if you wanted to expand your potential and expand your prosperity as an investor and as a real estate entrepreneur head to the investorlab.com.au to discover the many 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 ways that we are able to help you and to support you on your journey we look forward to helping you see you on the inside Hello, Gabby.
1: Hello, Glenn.
0: How are you today? What the hell? Hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Take a little step back there. I just got Glenn. You got What the hell is going on? I know.
1: The Sunday. It's the Sunday. Brings out the glenn. (laughs)
0: Crikey. (laughs) Crikey. I feel like I've just gotten in trouble. Um, If you are listening to this, we're recording this on a lovely Sunday morning in the beautiful Bondi Beach. The sun is shining. The air is cool. And... I just, want to, um, I just want to take a little minute to kind of circle back because a few episodes ago, we talked about the seed of life and we did a sort of scoring thing. And if you, if you listen to that, I hope you got a lot out of it and I hope you engaged with that and did the work too because it's super impactful. What we unpacked in that episode was that, long story short, I was, my, my, the health component of my seed of life was, was lacking. And over the last couple of weeks, I've been really thriving on the opportunity to incorporate more uh, health and fitness routines back into my schedule and i'm feeling really good actually so i'm feeling pretty pretty happy on this sunday morning how are you feeling awesome. gabby
1: yeah i'm okay i'm okay it's uh it, it is funny when you do those kind of exercises and you really own where you're letting yourself down a little bit so you know i'm the same health health i think health is affecting everyone at the moment i think everyone considering the state of the world everyone's a bit um a bit easier on themselves because there's a lot happening and it's hard, to, um, it's hard to commit to health habits and get yourself out of the house every day and go for a run or, you know, do your yoga or everything because no, no one's watching you really. <laughs> if you're just at home and it's just you, it's quite a confronting thing to just commit to the discipline for the sake of it
0: hundred percent, hundred percent. So one of, the, one of the things though that can contribute to health both mentally as well as physically and also contribute to the intellectual capacity of people is reading and yes. um, what we want to touch on today. Well, you tell, Gabby, why don't you, why don't you take the reins on this? You were flicking through. You, tell, me, tell me how we got to this.
1: <laughs> so I was flicking through your book, as I like to do, on my weekends in my spare time, <laughs> I like to read more about Goose. Um, <laughs> so, I, I kind of stopped on this point about vacancy rates. Mm. Um, and I know it's quite a hot topic at the moment um, with, you, you know, just the COVID situation and the impact that it's having on real estate. Um, and I feel like it's, we, you kind of touched on it quickly in the book, but it's I feel like it's quite a misunderstood metric. and. I just thought it might be a good basis of this conversation today to try and really pull it apart and go a bit deeper into it, um, and come at it from all different angles because I think people see it as like one number, and you know you can apply it in the way that you think it needs to be applied, and then it doesn't really have an impact. But it's it's much it's a much bigger piece, I think that.
0: Uh-huh. Uh, look, I, I I couldn't agree more. Actually, I actually I, I think that um, I think it I think the vacancy rates really are a misunderstood metric, mm. um, and it's interesting because. So if you haven't got if you haven't got a copy of my book Limitless: The Renegades Guide to Building Wealth Through Property, small plug there. <laughs> um, grab a copy now. It's not an exhaustive exploration into all of the mechanics of real estate, but about 30, 40% of it is about mindset and uh, all of that kind of stuff. Anyway, I encourage you to get a copy of it and check it out because I'd love to hear what your biggest takeaways are. I'm fascinated by the fact that Gabby was flicking through this uh, (laughs) and not the fact she was flicking through it, but more the fact that she hit the vacancy rates part and thought, hmm. We, this is something we could dig into a little more. If you haven't got a copy of the book, just head to renegadespropertybook.com. Grab a copy there. But let's, um, let's 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 take this a little further. Let's dig into exactly why vacancy rates are relevant and, in fact, probably why they're more relevant than ever in the current environment. Gabby, you were telling me a really interesting stat about uh, Sydney CBD vacancy rates there just a moment ago before we started this podcast. What are the, what are the Sydney CBD vacancy rates at the moment?
1: Well... Yeah, I think as of this week, they're up at 13.8%. That's in the CBD, obviously. Sydney as a whole, as a city, is is many more suburbs than Sydney CBD. But the CBD in itself uh, is currently at 13.8% vacant.
0: Yeah, 100%. And, and, and well, not 100%, 13.8%. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: 13.8%. Yeah, 13.8%. <laughs> but the thing is, Greater Sydney more broadly is over 3% vacancy rate at the time of recording. And it's probably going to get worse. Like, let's be realistic. It's probably going to get a little worse.
1: Why Why do you think that?
0: Why do I think that? So, um, there, there's a few, few key factors around vacancy rates. So, let's quickly go into what they are so that people can understand the conversation yes. and then then we'll talk about why they move, how they move, and why they're super important. How does that sound That's a bit of a framework yep. okay so vacancy rates are, are and the indication point or they're the metric that tells you the amount of vacant properties in a given area okay so for example and this is on a rental basis okay not on a not on a um, selling basis or an ownership basis yep. so For example, if you have 100 houses in an area and five of them are empty and ready to be rented out, but they're not currently rented, so they're on the market to be rented, that would be 5% vacancy rate. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. So if you've got, you know, and you can expand and contract that metric as much as you want, but that's the ratio to consider. So you might go, well, 100 houses, only five being vacant. That's not too bad, is it? But here's the thing. So 3% is considered equilibrium between supply and demand. So in any given area, in anywhere in the country, the, the standardized metric that we all look for is 3%. If it's above 3%, that's not a good indicator. That is, that is an indicator of a of a supply issue so there's more supply than there is demand now obviously the variance on that will dictate the degree of that um disparity so for example um there's been some suburbs that that like for example Bundaberg is a really great example if you go back five five years i think in Bundaberg, um the vacancy rate was about six percent and it'd been between six and seven percent for a fairly long time Mm -hmm. um Maybe it was three years or five foot. But anyway, in the last two years, it's been down below 2% and has been stayed below, right? So what you can see is previously it was extremely like there was way less people wanted to live there and rent there than there were houses in a, in a comparative analysis sense. And then now it's actually quite a tight market. It's actually tightening. Like Bundaberg is actually showing some really interesting signs of of uh, uh, potential prosperity. We'll sort of get into, what, get into how vacancy rates imply on that. In a moment, but does that kind of does that? I don't know. Just kind of on a tangent. Does that kind of do you think it helps people understand vacancy rates a little more?
1: Yeah, I think I was just thinking about, um, like, what do you mean by their tightening, and and how is that how is that benefiting Bundaberg at the moment, or or negatively impacting Bundaberg at the moment?
0: Yeah, okay, that's a great question because it doesn't need to be Bundaberg, not can, Bundaberg yeah, specifically. This can be applied anywhere, right? <laughs> this is this can absolutely be applied anywhere. So if three percent is considered equilibrium, see. The 3% metric often gets a bad rap because some people, and I guess the, I don't want to sound rude, but like, I guess the more uneducated investors um, hear that 3% is bad. They, oh, three, three, oh, right. 3% is bad. If it's 3%, it's no good. Well, actually, that's not true. 3% is equilibrium. Anything below 3% is what we consider degrees of tightening. Okay? Now, tightening I'll explain the stages and I'll explain why they're important and how you can use this in your own investing journey, right? So if you think 3% is equilibrium, so there's, it's like it's, you know, it's a pretty good market. Roughly, there's enough rental properties for the amount of people who want to rent them. In. In it's very broad sense, right? But mm-hmm. that's the general premise. Um, so yeah, okay, it shouldn't be a problem. It's not like you're not going to be able to find tenants. Like yeah. It's all good. But it does mean that the tenants will probably have a little bit more choice They're not going to be desperate. They're going to be like, okay, cool. Maybe I can look at a different house. There's going to be a little bit more opportunity. So what that decreases is your ability to um, be extreme in your vetting process, if that makes sense. Yeah. Right. So there's going to be a bit more of a balance in the negotiation. It's like two sides of the party coming to the table in a negotiation. If there is even even distribution of power, then either side could take it or leave it. And they'll just be like, well, is this what I want? It's healthy economy. Well, yeah, yeah, it is, right? In, yeah. It is in that sense from a tenant versus versus a, a landlord perspective. Yeah. It's, it's, everyone's kind of even on the table. It's like, do I want this or do I not want this? What have you got to offer and is it suited for me? Yeah. That's like 3%. So think about it like that. Now, taking that down a, a degree to 2%, 2% is considered extremely tight. So what that means is that there are obviously less properties on the market available to tenants, or vice versa, there's the same amount of properties, but there's more people that want them, right? So mm-hmm. it's it's about it's about the balance of the equation. So to that degree, you know, you're as a as a as a landlord or as a, a property investor, or as a property owner, you're going to have more opportunity to be a little more discerning about who you want and are they good enough tenants and all of that kind of stuff. And again, taking a step back, three percent's good. Three percent's good. Like three percent, anything less than three percent is good. Yeah. Okay, so, so let's, not, let's not get caught up in like, is it two, is it three? All right? These are all good things. Now, 2% is considered to be extremely tight. I, I mean it. It's extremely tight. 1% is considered to be crisis levels. Mm. So 1% is where there is a rental crisis, where the demand is extremely outstripping the supply of rental property availability. And it's actually a problem. There's actually social cohesion issues to a certain degree. Mm. So when we, see, um, when we see media reports uh, about the rental crisis and all of this kind of stuff, it's real. Like it if like it, 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 it this is the this is the scenario that you find yourself in where you have a tenancy like a, an open home for for a rental inspection and you have 30 or 40 people and they're all like fighting it out and they're like I've got my' got my application ready and I'm ready to go and I'm the best candidate and I've got 92 references and I've got a I'm a doctor in five 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 areas and' I'm like look at me <laughs> pick me pick me right this is like when you get to one percent obviously I'm exaggerating that a little bit but One percent is considered to be crisis levels. Anything below one percent is, or even more, crisis levels. Right? Mm. So you get that.
1: Yeah. So I'm just I'm drawing the correlation between, you know, if you're a property investor and you understand buyers and sellers markets. Yep. So when there's a increase in the vacancy rate, it becomes basically a renters market, right? Because the renters have more choice. As we're seeing now. Is there's the opposite of what you just explained. It's not there's not so much competition of people fighting for the limited amount of rentals that are available and trying to compete with each other and prove their worth. Which in that case, it's more of a a property owners market. It's the landlords market, mm-hmm. which would be the same as a seller's market. Yep. Whereas that's when vacancy rates are low. Whereas currently now, vacancy rates are through the roof. So the tenants are more in power. It's more of a renter's market. They've got more choice. They've got more flexibility. There's way more supply on the market that they have to choose from. And then, obviously, that brings down rental prices as well, right?
0: It does. It does. I, I think a couple of things you just said there. So vacancy rates are not through the roof. They are in some areas. Actually, let me take a little step back. They actually are in some areas, and mm-hmm. it's not good. Now, the reason some areas are significantly impacted by vacancy rates at the moment uh, is a, an unusual causation, and that's because due to the coronavirus, which is you know affecting everyone in a variety of different ways, um we've got decreased tourism, which means that airbnbs are no longer viable. Yes. The, Airb- the whole airbnb market is, has 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 crashed right and and the whole back end has fallen out of it and 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 it's very challenging. So what a lot of Airbnb owners, are doing are putting their properties very quickly. They're slamming them back onto the, onto the long-term rental market. And what that is causing is that it's causing an increase in supply in rental markets, and that is tipping the scale of the, d- the supply-demand equation in mm-hmm. those areas. So typically, that's going to be areas more impacted by tourism. Yeah. Okay? So you are seeing some areas where the vacancy rate has gone up significantly. Like I'm, yep. talking, I'm talking multiple percentage points over the course of a couple of months. It's pretty gnarly. That actually also has an impact on, on um, values, property values as well, which is really interesting. So some areas that have been impacted to that degree from a valuation perspective. And again, values, values are only really um, discovered when you, when you transact, okay? So what this is looking at is uh, valuation impact as opposed to as opposed to like what the median market change in selling prices has been. But for example, somewhere somewhere like um, Tugan in the Gold Coast is significantly impacted. There's been a lot of – and I'm just using that as one microcosm example – there has been a significant amount of Airbnb properties come back onto the market in that area. That's that's um, increased the rental supply. Um, that has decreased the property value comparison because it's easier for people to rent. There's less demand for, for people to buy. People have got more options. And for investors, it's driving down the capitalization of their asset. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. I was just thinking through how how the vacancy rates changes at the moment are actually. like When you say it's affecting the valuation, what do you mean by that?
0: That's a good question. So, in any uh, in any environment, uh, we, the whole a, any market—I don't care whether you're dealing in diamonds, gold, grass clippings, properties, um, stock shares—it doesn't really matter. But there's always a supply and a demand uh, aspect to, to, to any value point. Yep. any value point. I mean, I could have, I could have the nicest nicest coffee cup in the world right i could have i could have crafted the most beautiful and amazing coffee cup i think but if no one wants it it's literally not worth anything Mm, right we're going to get into supply and demand economics here i think so it's good it's good there's there's kind of a a few different ways to look at it if you have less supply and more demand then the value increases if you have more supply and less demand then the value decreases it's a very simple premise but what people make the mistake of as well in this is uh, is thinking that it's purely based on numbers like if there are a hundred properties in the area if there are or if there are x amount of properties and x amount of people therefore property prices go up or property prices go down or whatever but that's not the case at all like that's that is, that is one piece of the supply and demand equation, but the demand equation is actually driven by a whole suite of other factors. And this is, this is, this is I'll loop this back into vacancy rates in a moment, but let's just go there because the, the demand factor is not indicated by the number of people. Now, a lot of people talk about um, oh, oh n- there's no in- international migration, right? So there's, there's no net migration, international migration. Mm -hmm. and so therefore the property market is going to crash Well, that's not necessarily a true factor okay because when you think about property prices as opposed to property vacancy rates they're two different things property prices are driven by the buying and selling of properties and vacancy rates are driven by the revenue generation capacity of an investment property okay so vacancy rates are specifically related to tenancies right property prices are specifically related to transactions but these two things are intertwined now if you think about, let's just talk about demand for a moment because demand can change without net population differentiation, which is a very interesting concept because everyone thinks that more population, more people to, for the same amount of houses instantly means more, more higher values, which is kind of true, but also you the inverse then would be true and like less people would be uh, less property price growth mm. and the same amount of people would be static property price growth. Right? That would be your three metrics if, if it was just based on the number of people. But if you were to just take a, a hypothetical scenario, right, and you were to take, let's just take, this should make up, a, a, we're, we're going to a fictional territory here, right? But let's just say there was a town in regional New South Wales and for the last, and there was like a, a, a thousand people, live, or 10,000 people, whatever, lived in the town, right? And none of them ever went anywhere and it was a small country town and everyone grew that, grew up there and died there and nobody ever moved there because there was no there was no reason for people to move there and for the last twenty years. They'd been struggling. They'd been on the bones of their ass. There'd been no, no major industry. Now, everything was dusty. There was tumbleweeds in the streets and, you know, everyone was weathered and worn and life was slow and nothing really happened. And, but everyone just hung on and they were just hanging in there and it was literally, it was like they were at the death rattle of their, of their community. If I painted a good picture?
1: <laughs> I don't know good sprite, but yeah.
0: Okay, but then something changes. Something changes, right? All of a sudden, um, some random guy comes to town and he discovers that, there is, that there's gold, right? <laughs> For example, right? And he goes, oh my God, there's so much gold right here, right in this town. How, how wonderful. Uh, and then he stimulates with some new industry, some new inputs, some new infrastructure, some new energy. And all of a sudden, and he doesn't need to bring in, let's just say a hypothetical situation, he doesn't need to bring in any other people from any other areas. He discovers that everyone in the town has all the skills that are required and all of this kind of stuff. But everyone in the town starts making more money. They start living out, they're happier. There's a way more optimism. And everyone thinks, I'm like, God, we're going somewhere. How good is this? Life's changing. We're changing. The world's changing. My perspective's changing. Everything's changing. What do you think that they do? Do you think that if you'd lived in the same crusty, old, weathered, run-down, dusty, dilapidated town, house, whatever, and you all of a sudden had more economic prosperity, more optimism, more uh, future potential, more happiness, that you'd think, you know what, maybe it is time for that little renovation. Maybe it is, to, you know what, I do want to buy that bigger house. I wonder if David Down the Street wants to sell that. And this drives demand, okay? This, it's, what I'm getting to is psychology. Okay, biopsychology will dictate a, a, a much bigger sway in property prices and vacancy rates than anything else. Okay, now at the moment, what we're experiencing in the current market is um, higher rates of unemployment, um, but really it's higher rates of uncertainty. So uncertainty makes people really start to retreat within themselves. If they don't know what the future holds, they refuse to spend the money. Now. When we look at Sydney's vacancy rates, for example, and we see that they have gone up significantly. They've been going up for a while, actually. Like you know, I, I, I have actively been looking in the Sydney market to buy for, for our clients for some time. And I've yet, to, <laughs> I've, yet, I've yet to really find somewhere that I think is um, robustly uh, a good opportunity. And when you look at the market at the moment, the vacancy rates are trending upwards in so, so, so many places. Mm. Now, that is driven by a large number of things. Affordability, sentiment, certainty, and all of these different factors. Yes, unemployment does play a, play a, play a role in that, of course, because if people don't have jobs, they can't afford the rent. So therefore, they go, I can't afford the rent, I've got to move out. You get rental defaults, and that puts more properties on the market. Okay, so then, the, but the, it, we're talking about a much broader thing here, and we're talking about the psychology of, of how this is impacting. Now, I've kind of lost the point of the question, I kind of lost the point of the question. I've gone. <laughs> I've gone very. have gone very tangential here, but I think that uh, as much as anything, the reason the reason that vacancy rates are an indicator of property prices as well is be, is because of that kind of intention. So, mm. for example, in some of the areas that we're currently buying in, uh, vacancy rates are you know zero point five percent, one percent. So, if you're in a market where you've got zero point five percent vacancy rate, and then your vacancy rate doubles, what do you got? Still got crisis levels, right? There's still a huge amount of demand. But when we see, I think, I think, I think the question was about tightening and loosening vacancy rates.
1: No, it was about how it's. um how it's currently affecting valuations
0: ah okay yeah got it got it okay so we'll come back on the tightening thing and how that affects uh how that's a predictor of growth in a moment that's a good that's a good question i'm just distilling i'm distilling my answer there right so from an investment perspective if there is less potential for the property to generate the returns and the revenue required Mm -hmm. it Devalues so just no, in the same yes, way yeah. you th- you think about you think about a business okay now of course not every property is a rental property and not every property is going to be bought by an investor okay so there's there's kind of a couple of things yep. on the one hand you've got more available properties on the market and you've probably got more people willing to sell right if you've got, if you've suddenly got all these Airbnb properties um, mm-hmm. that suddenly can't make any revenue they're going to be like can I rent them can I sell them right so you're probably going to see a glut of both I haven't actually looked at the gross number of increased. Uh, listings in Tugan so I can't comment on that specifically but it would be a natural correlation that you would expect okay yeah and also it means that the prospects for an investor to want to invest in area so invested demand will go down so there's less demand for purchases in that area because the investors are not going to be able to get the returns that they need to make it a worthwhile investment. So therefore, mm-hmm. that's pulling back on the demand side from buyers. And that, these kind of, kind of It's kind of like a, a little ecosystem of things that work together. But if you see vacancy rates going up, you can be fairly sure that you're going to have a much softer uh, valuation perspective in the marketplace. Now, that doesn't always mean things go down, but it might just mean things go flat. So the the two things are very different but also extremely correlated.
1: Yeah, so it's kind of like in a general sense lenders don't tend to like uh like the short stay market, the Airbnb market from that perspective, right? They don't because Airbnb is probably a bit more turbulent in terms of guaranteeing rental income. So they are a bit more conservative in in valuing those properties, right?
0: So, from a lending perspective, and again, it's not financial advice, and I'm not a broker, right? So, don't, but this from a lending perspective, there's a couple of things. Airbnbs are not considered a rental property, they're considered a business. So, as Uh, such, like, if, like, yes, an Airbnb in, you know, let's say a year ago could have been a good cash cow opportunity for you to produce a lot of income, but it'd be treated like a business. mm -hmm. You need to have two years of consistent revenue, consistent tax, like all of that stuff. Same thing you do with the business. Right, you can't just go look. Hey, I've got a property and it yields at ten percent. Boom, let's go. They'll say, yeah, but it's a it's a short stay. It's a it's a how what's the vacancy? How many how many weeks? What's the total? What's the total annual revenue? You know, they'll they'll want to look at it like a business before they'll lend against it. That's the difference, right? Yeah, cool. Now, to that degree, to touch on another point, uh, vacancy rates and lending and risk analysis. So, not all areas are created equal. So, if you um if banks have got different classes of risk, so um, the class one, two, three, ABC, there's kind of different like metrics or different scales that they use, but essentially they, they class areas in different ways based on the risk profile of that area. Now, the risk profile of an area according to a lender is not always uh, direct, uh, not always up to speed with the current conditions of an area, maybe a little bit outdated. We've discovered that a few times in the past. We've found areas which are great, low vacancy rates, high economic prob- uh, prosperity, um, uh, gentrifying demography, all of that kind of stuff. But the banks have still said, oh, that's actually a class four or whatever it was, right? And yep. um, we don't want to lend at 90%. Okay, so that, that's cool. But you do get these kind of things, which is why... Uh, which is why if you're buying in a regional area, so and region, when we talk about regionals, when we talk about investing and we're talking about major regional cities, right? We're talking about areas like Bendigo, Ballarat, Aubrey, Wodonga, you know, like major regional cities, which is massively different to a small country town, right? Massively different from a lending perspective as well. So, from a risk perspective, banks always hedge against risk. Just in the same way that vacancy rates are going to like, they're going to be like, well, if vacancy rates going up, property prices might go down. We're going to value it differently. We're not going to secure a higher amount against it because there's too much risk. So just in the same way, if you are investing in a, in a country or a regional area, like for example, if you're buying a farm or you're buying in a small country town or something like that, the loan to value ratio needs to be uh, much lower. So you need much higher deposit to de-risk the bank's position and that's based on the risk profile of the area. Awesome. Cool.
1: cool. Um, yeah, maybe let's, let's bring it back a bit to how, how can we use, as an investor, how can we use a vacancy rate almost as a tool? Like you touched on earlier about how it can be a, you know, an early indicator of capital growth. Yep. Which I think, I think a lot of people don't really think about vacancy rate in that way. They think of vacancy rate as like as an element of assessing their cash flow and they think, okay, well, if there's a 1% vacancy rate, then there's like a 1% of my rental income that I won't receive that year for that property or, or they'll factor it in that way. But um, you touched on before about psychology and about psychographics and I mean, what comes to mind there is is the concept of tenant appeal, and how if if the vacancy rate is dropping, you'll have more tenants moving in there, right? And if you think about tenants as people compared with owner occupiers as people, tenants tend to be more fluid, right? Tenants move around a bit more; they're a bit more agile, and they're a bit easier to relocate if they find somewhere that they want to move to but do you see that as an indicator of almost almost a pre-indicator of capital growth in certain areas
0: yep i do and so <clears throat> it's a really good point because it all comes down to the psych- psych- psychology and this is where people miss people just look at the number and they go oh is it low is, is it a low vacancy rate that's good right low vacancy rates are good yeah yeah yeah, that's cool. But why? <laughs> why? Like, why, why, why does that even matter? I know we've spoken about the supply-demand ratio and all of that kind of stuff. But psychology is actually a much, 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 much bigger part. Now, you can look at an area and have, let's just say the vacancy rate is 2%. And you can go, oh, my God, that's great. Goose said the 2% is tight. How cool, <laughs> right? But what you have really got to break down, and this is, this is why it's so important to understand the psychology of, of marketplaces because. Capital growth is such an esoteric future um, perspective. Yeah. Now, you know, there are ways that you can reasonably um, project, but they're pretty complex and anything can change, right? So, here's something like the coronavirus comes along and all your best assumptions are gone and, yeah. you know, all of that kind of stuff. However, looking at how the data that we can find right now can give us a glimpse into the future is super fascinating. So for example, if you um, looked at an area and it was 2% vacancy rate and you went, oh, well, it's 2% vacancy rate. Like, pff, I don't know, I'll just go buy an apartment, right? The, the vacancy rate for two-bedroom apartments in the area might be, I don't know, 6%. Mm. But the vacancy rates for three-bedroom houses might be 0.2%. Okay, so what you can... What you can discern by looking at the vacancy rates per asset type and doing comparable analysis on that is to determine what the psychological and demographic and demographic breakdown is of the community. It's not the only thing you would use, of course, mm-hmm. because that's not going to dictate who they are, how they spend their time, where they work, and what they do. But it will tell you a lot about the community. So, for example. Um, the people, people who are more likely to want uh, houses with backyards, are probably going to be families and stuff like that. So then you can sort of discern that. You can sort of follow that rabbit, rabbit Warren, and and start to understand about the ty- the types of people that are in the the area and the types of people that are moving to the area and why. Now, that's a really great thing about the the psychology. The other thing, the other thing is you pointed out is that that tenants or renters are a leading indicator they're a leading indicator of future prosperity and potential the reason for that is if for example um like in our mythical made up um new south wales country town where nothing is going on if people decided that they were going to move there to work in that gold mine then they wouldn't just go and buy a house straight away they would move there. They'd find somewhere to rent, get a feel for it. Is oh, Why is this a good street? How long am I going to stay in this job? Is this what I like? How do I want to bring up my family here? What are the schools like? And then only if it met all of their lifestyle criteria and they decided that this is somewhere that they want to spend a greater proportion of their life, would they buy? So so rentals so this is why this is why when we're looking at markets and when we see vacancy rates decreasing and rental prices and yields increasing in line with each other that is a really good sign because what that is showing is that, is that is that there is an increased increasing level of demand typically driven by more people wanting to be closer in that area for a variety of different uh, emotional psychological economical and de- demographical reasons okay could be affordability could be new jobs could be nice beaches could be any number of different uh profile characteristics that are going to drive them to want to be there and once they then move there and we see that that's the first kind of that's one of the leading indicators once we see that then if they enjoy the pl- that's kind of leading indicator then in about 6 months time typically in about 6 months time you start to see a change in housing prices that's that's, that's a really interesting thing is is that the average timeline, and when you look at these at, a, at an aggregated average perspective, the average timeline for that process is about six months. It could be longer. could be 12 months. But you, if you think about it, if we, if we were to or, you know, if the listener was to go, I've started, like, let's just say I live in Sydney now and I just got offered a job in Brisbane. Mm-hmm. And it's a great job. All right, let's move the family up there. All right, what are you going to do? Are you going to take on a 12-month lease? Maybe. You might also take on a six-month lease. Okay, because you're like, look, let's give it a crack. If it's no good, maybe we'll come back. I don't know. Or whatever, you work it out. So it, it's going to be between 6 and 12 months. But if you go and take a 6-month lease and you go, okay, this is good, this will give us an opportunity to get our feet on the ground and find a place to buy. You know, And this is, this is the kind of perspective of why vacancy rates can be a leading indicator of uh, future growth potential. The, the thing that you've got to be very, 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 very careful about though is supply risk because what can look – ostensibly like a great and tightening uh, growth potential market can be completely decimated if um, in amongst all of that, there is a 200 apartment, apartment block about to open, open its doors, right? And all of a sudden that can, flood, that can flood the supply side of the market and that'll bring that whole equation back to equilibrium. And so this is the kind of thing. This is, where, this is where the supply side comes into the demand side.
1: Cool. Yeah, okay. So let's, let's, let's touch on that a little bit about, so say, say vacancy rates trending down, right? Yep. It's tightening, tightening, tightening. What are some indicators you would look for that would indicate that it's going to loosen up a bit, the supply is about to increase or it's about to come back to equilibrium? Mm. like you mentioned just then like like residential developments like yep you see a lot of new developers coming in whether they're like apartment buildings or they're new like land developments or
0: yep the, honestly the easiest way to do that and the only real way um, that i know how to do that is to look at the building approval rates mm. and you'll find that kind of information by digging into um council planning departments and stuff it's pretty dry Uh, administrative work but it kind of does really give you a really good picture of what's going on so for example there are you may you may find a house that's super cheap and really high yield and you know the suburb vacancy rate and this is really we're getting into into microberbia territory here the suburb vacancy rate might be let's just say two percent right say oh so suburb vacancy rate is two percent oh that's good uh and i found this house and it's like 30% Thirty percent cheaper than every other house in the suburb, but it's on the back. Let's just say it's on the back side of the suburb. Let's just say the front side of the suburb is right up against a train line, and it's close. And there's the shops, and there's a supermarket, and maybe a cinema, and all of that kind of stuff. And it's connected to the capital city, all right, in some way, in some meaningful way, and maybe it's an outer ring suburb. And on the back side, and on the back side of that same suburb is paddocks fields. Mm-hmm. Now, what you've got to sincerely and significantly look at is what is the future plan for that land? How long will that stay farmland? Is that even still farmland? Have they has has a developer bought it? How many lots are going to be coming online in what time frame? And this is one of the reasons that I see a lot of areas where people rush to, and I'm like, I'm, there's no way that we'd be going there with our clients because when you look at where an area is, and I'll use for example Strathpine, right? So Strathpine, Moreton Bay region. Don't get me wrong, if you bought there four years ago, you probably did pretty well and you probably will do pretty well. But the problem is when you look at the Moreton Bay region and then you look at the point of greatest utility being Brisbane and then you look at the area in between, there is a huge tract of greenfield land. Now, the majority of that land has already been bought up by companies such as Stockland and other developers and they're going to be releasing thousands of new houses onto the market. Now, what that will do is that that will increase the supply side of the equation okay and assuming that the demand side stays the same lifestyle economic opportunity psychology prosperity uh, affordability all of that kind of stuff it will stunt growth okay mm-hmm. now conversely if you were to um invest in an area where you are let's say the let's say the the main access point and the main opportunity uh for convenience life because life, lifestyle is one of the biggest factors lifestyle and psychology are one of the biggest factors in um the value proposition of any property and that can be seen in many 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 ways but just because it's close to a train station that doesn't mean it's a good thing if everyone has to drive for work if the main if the main economic um opportunity for that area is not accessible by train then being close to a train line doesn't mean anything mm, yep. right and and we often see train lines but then there maybe there's only going to be two trains a day like like the train line isn't the be-all and end-all. It really depends on what the, um, the occupational breakdown is of that area. Anyway, let, but let's say you, you, you're looking at a, at a house and it's surrounded by other houses and surrounded by other houses and there's not really, you can't see any big spaces of land that more people are going to be building more and more houses on. That's a good sign that there's only going to be infill developments. Infill development is like maybe subdivisions, maybe a corner, a lot, of like, like little stuff. Mm-hmm. which is not going to dramatically impact it. Now, if you want to look for apartment buildings and stuff like that, you really need to look at the building approval rates. So you need to dig into that, that kind of um, developmental side and go, okay, what projects are on the horizon? Are, are there 2,000 apartments being built in Footscray over the next five years? How is that going to change the demand? And you need to start thinking about that kind of stuff. Does, does that make sense?
1: Who's responsible for managing the vacancy rate?
0: What do you mean, managing the vacancy rate?
1: Like improving it if it gets to crisis levels, or decreasing it if it's state government. State government.
0: Yeah. So, st- so, 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 state and local government will dictate the um, planning and uh, and development. Of the infrastructure and all of that kind of stuff in the state, mm-hmm. so they're the ones that look. Like don't, don't get me wrong. Federal impact, of course. Federal funding to state level, state funding to local level. This is the this is the flow of uh, the fe- federal treasury in a general sense. There's obviously state generated revenue and there's all of that kind of stuff, but we won't get bogged down in all of that. But states will dictate how they want their state to be. They're the they're the they're, they're the planners. Good. They're the planners, right? And so. They will be, okay, how much are we spending on uh, roads? How much are we spending on hospitals? Uh, where do we have too many people? Where do we have not enough people? How do we move people from an area where we have too many people to where there's not enough people? And how do we make sure that that's going to be done in a way that's going to be economically um, prosperous for that environment that we're not going to um, be transferring issues and transferring problems? You know, a really, gr- a really great case in point with this is Victoria. So um, Melbourne's had the highest level of population growth uh, for the last few years, isn't it funny? Isn't it funny how it's also had some of the most volatile and uh, unreliable growth rates in the last few years as well? Isn't it? Isn't that? <laughs> isn't that hilarious? Isn't? Isn't that funny how it's had the had the highest population growth, and in a lot of cases, property prices have been going down. Isn't that unique? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a really great indication about how population growth doesn't mean shit when it comes to property prices. Now, aside from that. Too many people started moving to Melbourne. We lived in Melbourne. We're in Bondi now. How cool. How wonderful. <laughs> for now, for now, maybe Byron soon, we'll see. But um, is, I got lost. So the, the amount of people moving to Melbourne was um, putting too much pressure on the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Melbourne literally cannot build infrastructure fast enough. And this, yeah. is, this is the bane of, of every growing city. You just can't. It's virtually impossible. So what the state government has done has been pushing more economic uh, opportunity into satellite satellite hubs. So places like Geelong, even in this, even within the city, they're doing that in places like Sunbury and places like Dandenong and these kind of Mm -hmm. satellite positions to try and move people out because they can't have people just constantly trying to pressure towards the centre of the city because it'll break. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll have social cohesion issues. You'll have huge problems. This is the thing. Like this is the big picture. Think mm-hmm. now. Further to that, they've decentralised, and we've seen the the growth stories in places like Ballarat and Bendigo. And we're now starting to see that uh, ripple even further out. You know, and it's going out in concentric circles. I, I I find that Victoria is a very good case in point for this whole um, metaphor because what we're actually seeing now is that places like the Latrobe Valley have seen really good prosperity. Places like Bansdale And um, Painesville, way, way, way east, have been on the receiving end of decentralized prosperity, funding opportunities and stuff like that. Because sometimes it doesn't come by the state government doing a big project. It might just push more funding into local government and go, look, you've got this money now. Do something good with it. Expand your hospital. Do the thing. And so there's many, many, many uh, strategies around how to do that. Uh, We're seeing that in places like Aubrey-Wodonga and heaps of other good stuff. So... That's kind of, that's where the control factor comes from and that comes down to uh, the, the, the overarching planning and economic development plan, which is really interesting because if you want to look at an area like, I don't know, Ipswich, right, for example, you can, you can go on the council website and you can look, look up the economic development plan.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now, we all know. Plant- They're a fun read. Plans without action, yeah. Plans without action are just toilet paper, right? Nonetheless, you can get an indication of what the plan is and then you can actually, if you really want to get nerdy about it, you can then look back at their previous plans and then analyze what their efficacy rate was of completing those and you'll find that some councils are way more effective at delivering on their plans, mm. right? And what you and their projections are maybe more accurate. So, switch is actually a really good example. Sunshine Coast is a really good example, an example as well. Both those councils have got very good track records of um, doing what they say they're going to do and meeting their targets. So, for example, population targets, because these are real things. You know, governments, local local government areas will go, well, if we want our area to be more prosperous and to have more opportunity and to be more buoyant and to increase our gross regional product, we're going to need to do a certain amount of things, including more population, more jobs, more all this kind of stuff, and so they'll they'll have population growth targets. Mm. Um, so you can kind of get an, get an indication of you know if if a if a tiny town in country New South Wales has a population of a thousand people and it says in ten years we're going to have a population of a million, and the way we're going to do that is by building a uh, the world's largest Woolworths, you, you can sort of go, okay, I'm not sure, I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, it's almost like they they have their own integrity score within them, don't they?
0: Yeah, like anyone. It's like, yeah. You've got to think about it. everything's a business, right? I'm sorry if you're a socialist out there and you want everything to be a community, but it's actually everything's a business. <laughs> and my, my, my point to that is that real estate is a business, government is a business, and you need to view each and every business opportunity on its merits, you know, you need to, like, just because, just because a property is advertised in a certain way doesn't mean that it is what it says on the box. And just because a, a local government area says we're going to do all of these wonderful things, it's like, yeah, but, I don't know, like, are you a liar? Like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And you've got to look at all, the, all these business opportunities and these different stages and tranches of business psychology and the profile of what you're doing.
1: Yeah, and I think the in- interesting part of that as well is how, like, the integrity of any any level of government is, actually has a massive influence on the economy of that government because because if you if you feel confident and you feel like you've got a trustworthy leader you feel more confident in spending your money in that economy right oh 100% which in, which in effect in real estate would should lend to increase prices
0: yeah exactly so generally speaking yeah the
1: so like so like if you if you're if you're in a uh, local government area and they've got they've had the same government in there for years, yeah, and it's very stable. Yep. you're going to find on the ground that there's a lot more certainty in the people because the government has proved have have set the outline of what they're going to do and then they go and do that.
0: Yeah, pol- political uncertainty is one of the one of the bane's of property. Mm, yeah. The more elections the worst things are for property. Not because it goes bad, but just because of uncertainty. Yeah. So what people, miss, what people miss about in the whole property economic equation is that the biggest, biggest, most important thing is psychographics. How do people feel? What do they want to do? Like psychographics are so, so interesting because you may have people who have the very same economic opportunities. They have the same job, that nothing's changed, but except for the fact that now, thanks to coronavirus, they can live wherever they want. They've got a decentralized workplace. And so rather than saying, oh, I need to live within um, an hour's commute of the Sydney CBD, they're now free. They're now free to live where they want, and all of a sudden they might go. Well, you know what? I want to move to Yamba. I only need to go to the office once a month for the team meeting, so I'm going to move to Yamba. Property prices are cheap. Beach looks good. Awesome. And this is lending into the the psychographics of why people would move to an area. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Ostensibly, may change about Yamba except for a desirability from a lifestyle perspective. Mm-hmm. and desire is the leading indicator of everything like de- desire is the, is a leading indicator of how you're going to spend your money like it, it, you know you could look at two cars that are exactly the same and one has a mercedes badge on it and one has a i don't know a honda badge on it and they would be two drastically different prices because of desirability not because of not because of mechanics
1: no we're going to do a whole we're going to do another episode just on psychographics because you're right it is such an important and overlooked aspect of everything that we're doing
0: yeah 100 yeah. which is which is i think uh, uh, i know we started on vacancy rates but let's i'm i'm passionate about this right so this is, <laughs> this is this is this is this is this is why when we look at an area we don't look at it what it is now we look at it what it look at what it is becoming right? so mm-hmm. for example you may go to an area which has for the last five to ten years been um let's just say, lower socioeconomic demographic, uh, all, of, all of this kind of stuff, you know, maybe higher unemployment or whatever. But if you can see how it's changing, if you can see the demographic shifts and the psychographic shifts, and if you can reasonably say, if you, if you can find the, the statistical points that you can then use as a reference to understand what is happening in that degree, you will be able to see the future in terms of what it's going to do and what the potential of that area is. Nice. Mm.
1: Cool. Indeed. If you're a property investor yep. and you own a property. Yep. And you're, let's say you bought in there and the trend was going down and vacancy rate is now at about one, one and a half percent, if you start, you know, tuning into the vacancy rates and paying attention to it a bit more and you start noticing it increasing. What can you do? What effect does that have on you as an investor?
0: I'm going to turn this around a little bit. If you're a business owner mm. uh, and there was more uncertainty in the marketplace, what would you do? You'd increase the value proposition. Mm. You'd say, Dear valued customer or client, I love you and respect you, and together we have a mutually beneficial uh, relationship. Now, I understand that in the current environment, things are changing. And you may have an increased opportunity or an increased desire to maybe want to explore alternatives, competitors in the marketplace to find out if they may benefit you more in some way. Well, I want to let you know, dear customer or client, that I really value you. And what I am committed to is having a prosperous and long-term relationship with you. And I want to support you on the journey from where you are now to where you ultimately want to be so how can i make this relationship satisfactory to you or are you currently satisfied you got to have that you got to have that perspective and this is where service comes into it right because if you're just like god damn tenants screw them give me my money (laughs) <laughs> it's probably not going to be that great a relationship and that essence will be coming through in the relationship that you have with the tenants if you never fix anything. Mm. If, they're, if they're like, I am so sick The shower sick of this, the shower leaks, the power doesn't work, nothing, the place is broken and I am sick to death of asking and nothing happening to this place, stuff it. Rents, rents are going down. I'm just going to go rent somewhere else, cheaper. Mm. That's the attitude. And it's the same attitude that somebody would have within a business. If they're like, I can't believe I pay this much money and I get such a crappy service, you know, it used to be there was nobody else to go to, but now there are loads more other people I can go to. Screw you. I'm out. I'm going to take my chances somewhere else, right? Same perspective. It is exactly the same perspective. So to that degree, the uh, level to which you can show compassion, servitude, community connection, uh, and all of that kind of stuff, you will weather the storm with your um, client being your tenant now there's a number of reasons that vacancy rates may go up it may be in a current environment like right now like for example right now in sydney vacancy rates are going up in many 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 places so what what opportunities does an investor or, or a property owner have to ensure that they don't find themselves without a revenue stream to support that asset there are many things you could do you could Offer lower rents. You can say, Look, I understand your current position may not be what you wanted or what you expected when you entered into this relationship, but I love you and I care about you and I want this to be a long term relationship and I value you as a client. So, how can I help? Would it be beneficial if I reduce the rent a little bit? It's got to work for both people, it has to work on both sides, right? That's just one way. Yeah and like but there are many ways. You, it's about increasing the value proposition to secure um an optimal result for both sides of the um transaction equation.
1: Yeah it's interesting. I'm kind of now thinking of it like we thinking about service as a landlord serving your clients which are your tenants almost as insurance for times of increasing vacancy rates because you think like when it becomes going back to the trending towards you know a renters market when renters have more opportunity and there's more consideration and they have more options they start to think about why what they currently have is not good enough or why they start comparing it with what else they could have and why everything all the other new options the new shiny options are in some way better than what they've currently got and that's what i think that coming back to that psychology is a reason why people tend to move around in those markets. Um, but if you're, as a landlord, if you're delivering good service and it's you know, priced appropriately and you treat them well and you, you practice empathy and, and, and do the maintenance that you need to do and serve them ongoing throughout the whole tenancy, you're going to have less risk of a tenant wanting to jump ship
0: well, people stop, people stop thinking about it as a temporary solution. They start thinking about it as a, as a permanent solution. Mm. If the value proposition is correct, people don't want to move. Like tenants don't like moving.
1: Yeah. The,
0: the cost of moving is extremely high. People don't want to move. People don't, like, some people want to move around. I enjoy moving around because I like change, right? But in general sense, people don't like moving. They want a home. So if the value proposition is correct, why would they want to, why, why would they want to try and create a new home? Yeah. You know, people humans are creatures of habit. They may have a routine. I like going to that cafe. I've got a gym around the corner. I made a new friend. You know, what they don't want to have to change. People want that kind of environment. So the only reason that people would change is if the value proposition has changed for them. The value proposition may have nothing to do with the the, the, the landlord or the property owner, right? The value proposition may have changed for the tenant. They may be like, well, when I entered into this, I was on a hundred grand a year and I just got a new job and I'm earning two hundred and fifty grand a year. And now I want to go to some pimping penthouse apartment mm-hmm. or I'm going to go buy my own house or whatever that may be. Yep. So, but that, you yeah, know, and that's that's normal. That's all good. That's all good. But in a in a broader sense, you need to approach it from how am I how am I providing the right service to attract the right people? And and I think that this will, this will show up in a multitude of ways. It'll show up in maintenance, care, consideration, all of that stuff. But the more that you can turn it into a home and not, a, not, a, not just a transaction. Because you've got to ask yourself, like, what, what do you want more out of your rental property? Do you want to be able to jack up the rents every 6 to 12 months because? Just because you can because you can get more money? Yeah. Or would you rather have a tenant in there that when you purchase the property, um, you got tenants in there at the the rental rate that was satisfactory to your needs, would liquidate your portfolio. So we're talking cash flow positive, all of that kind of stuff. They're happy. You're happy. Wouldn't you rather have the same tenants for 10 years?
1: Totally. Yeah, you see that list. That's listed as a benefit on so many listings. It's always long-term tenant is listed as one of the selling points of property because you do want that consistency
0: yeah 100
1: the reliability as much as you can
0: yeah and if yeah. you think about it like a business again you know what do you if you run a business what do you want more in a business do you want custom repeat customers who come back to you regularly who already know you like you trust you value your product and want to do more business with you consistently and become habituated i find a barber i'm going to barber this morning I go to the one barber. I don't shop around barbers. I don't go to different barbers. I don't even go to different (laughs) barbers. I don't even go to different barbers at that barber. I have a barber. His name's Theo. He's very nice. And I go to that barber in that barber shop. Why? Because he cut my hair good once. (laughs) And I went, ah, he cut my hair good.
1: Done. Decision made. Yep.
0: Cool. I'm going back there. Yeah. And I'll keep going back there. I won't book in with anybody. In yeah. fact, I tried booking in with someone else once, right? And I was like, I, I didn't like that. <laughs> didn't like
1: that. I didn't though. like that.
0: It's like, where's Theo? Come yeah. back, Theo. And so now I'm like, okay, I know what I'm going to do. And this is the kind of relationship that you can generate as a business owner if you yeah. approach it in the right way because there's nothing more, there is nothing more damaging to a business than trying to uh, create new clients or customers consistently because no one wants to stay with you mm. that is the that is that is the lowest level of economic strength in any kind of business structure something yeah. goes for property because property is a business right so yeah. the thing is if you can create an environment where people want to stay you're attentive to their needs you listen to their hopes dreams desires concerns needs fears and wants and serve them then they'll stay
1: yeah it's interesting i think this is a good point to to wrap it up with about you talk about like 10 year tenant, like that's the goal, right? You have a tenant, the same tenant, 100 year
0: tenant, 100 year tenant.
1: That <laughs> stays there your entire life. Um, and they're happy for you to increase the rent as, as is necessary. And then they're, they're not fussed. They're totally stoked. They're like, I just love where I live. Just let me live here. I'll pay whatever. Just let me stay here. But I think coming back to vacancy rates, about um, a lot of people, particularly at the moment, people that are buying now raising questions about, am I going to have difficulty finding a tenant right now? Should I invest right now? Because I might have difficulty finding a tenant. But if you think about that as the 10-year tenancy type of thing, we're reminded that we're doing this for the long-term. Property investing is a long-term game. And vacancy rates in one respect is just a piece of that and so, if you're buying in good locations where, you know, the places that we're buying are every, everywhere is less than 3% vacancy rate. So, if you're buying somewhere that might be 1% vacancy rate, it might have increased a little bit during these, you know, economic uncertainty, but you're still under, you're still at a really good level of vacancy rate. So, it's hard at the moment for people to come into the market thinking, oh, I might not find a tenant. And it might be that they're, the, 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 tenancy the vacancy that they would experience over their term of holding that property just so happens to be happening now Mm. but it's accepting that if you're in this for the long term you're going to have periods of vacancy and you need to account for that and allow for that and accept that that's part of what it is but it's also coming back to if you bought in the right area it will never be as dramatic as a problem as you think it will be
0: yeah, 100%. And I would say, though, that an extra lever, and this is one of the big things that we talk about with the Holy Trinity, um, is you want to be buying cash flow-positive properties for a start. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure that they're in areas where you've got strong growth potential. We kind of touched on some of that kind of stuff. And you want to have a value-add lever that you can pull. Now, a value-add lever might be something like a cosmetic renovation. You might not do that at the start. But let's say you've had tenants for a year and a half, two years, and all of a sudden they move out. And they move out at a time where the vacancy rates are a bit higher. Things have changed. This is the whole premise the holy trinity is to give you a safeguard against this kind of stuff so what can you do well maybe you can do a cosmetic renovation you know you inject a little bit of cash in there you make it a nicer place to live you attract better quality tenants who want to stay for longer and that's a that is one thing that you could do to increase the desirability or the value proposition you don't have to reduce prices you can increase the value in other ways you know and that's the thing and that's why we like to have the three components of the holy trinity strategy
1: yeah and it's also the if you think about the cash flow positive side if you do have a couple of weeks where it's vacant there's not the 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 crazy extra mortgage burden on you if you are negatively geared
0: yeah well that's it i mean negative if you're negatively geared you've got a liability fifty two weeks of the year, not two. <laughs> yeah. Like that's that's the thing. You've got a negative year property, you could have it tenanted you could have it tenanted year round and you're still gonna be digging into your pocket, right? Whereas if you've got a cash flow positive property and it becomes vacant for two to four weeks, well that's a two to four week window where you need to manage the uh you need to manage the finances of that asset. Um but if you've produced a surplus within that asset you should be able to do that too. Awesome. Great, awesome. Um I think it's been a great episode. Thanks Gabby.
1: Thank you, Goose.
0: My pleasure. <laughs> now, if you have enjoyed this conversation and you want to find out a little bit more about um, property economics, um, the way we think about stuff, um, different other levers that you can pull within your property portfolio, I encourage you to grab a copy of my little book. Uh, it's called Limitless, The Renegade's Guide to Building Wall Street Property. We talk about uh, you know, the multitude of economic drivers in the property market, how you can build a strategy to survive and thrive no matter what happens, even in an environment like this, and all of that kind of stuff. And if you want to copy of that, just head to renegadespropertybook.com. And also, if you buy the book, wonderful, amazing. I can't wait to hear from you. But also, if you actually just want to join a community of um, like minded people who are exploring all of these ideas and topics and having integrated conversations monthly or actually every three weeks we're doing a training and an exploration on different aspects to improve your uh, position um, and your success as a property investor or a real estate entrepreneur, then head to theinvestorlab.com.au to find out the many ways that we can support you on your journey. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you.